Doesn't that Mandela effect? Um, no, Mandela effect is... No, 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 but is Nike just do it? Nike is just do it. Okay. And now to explain the Mandela effect, that's where, like... No, I know, you don't have to, no, I know what the Mandela effect is, I was just saying. What is it, then? It's when you misremember something because a mass group of people remember something different than everyone else, i.e. Berenstein, Berenstein Bears. That book is real, what do you mean? Half a lot of people remember it as Berenstein. And it's actually Berenstain. I've never heard of it that way, the second way. Right, it's Berenstain. Mm, never heard of that. Do you remember? Do you, how do you remember it being spelled? Um, S T E I N. No, that's not it. No. That's a Mandela effect. See? No. I know. <laughs> I read the books. Yeah, it's not. That's not what that is. It's Berenstain. Well, speaking of gaslighting, that <laughs> is. <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? Wait, are you going right now? Yes. Oh, we're just talking. About, okay. Well, this is this is not about the Mandela effect. <laughs> no. What's this podcast called again? This is called Cinema Shrinks. Okay. Aren't you the one who thought of it? Like you're the uh, one. Uh, maybe. I don't remember. Well, hopefully you do remember enough to talk about this episode. Well, we just watched the movie, so hopefully it's fresh in our minds to do it. So, on this episode, we are covering Gone Girl, a.k.a. to uh, my friends I went to Oregon with earlier this year, Oregon Girl. What? It's a very um, bad inside joke. Are you doing an inside joke in your intro? Yeah, okay. All right, let's <laughs> So, <laughs> the movie Gone Girl. Also, once again, I'm laying, like, apparently this is how we're going to do this podcast now, is you're sitting across the room and I'm laying down. With a microphone on my chest. Um. Anyways, what are we talking about? Gone Girl. That's what we're doing. So, Gone Girl is a movie <laughs> that came out in uh, circa 2014 AD, uh, starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund. Yes, thank you, Rosamund Pike and Carrie Coon, which I think was our first movie. She's done a lot of stuff since. Anyways, um, I can't believe this movie almost came out ten years ago. Um, based on the book by Gillian, 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 Gillian Flynn, spelled with a G, but I never know how to pronounce it. Anyways, um, I did read the book before this movie came out. Uh, I think it's a faithful adaptation of the book for the most part. I feel like I can feel you staring at me from across the room. <laughs> Don't laugh at me now. Uh, I'll just stare at you through the video then. Okay, uh, that's that with Gone Girl. Anyways, but the David Fincher movie. Yeah, 2014, Ben Affleck uh, is a, I guess you would describe it as a... Um, a horrifying, <laughs> realistic play-by-play of how psychotic someone who's snapped can be and someone who just desperately wants to be loved. I mean, in, in essence, it's more or less a satire of like media circus or like trial by media the like nancy was a nancy grace like oh. type like very that like southern fried like just like suburban burn um, the man on a stick yeah um but it's a little i guess it's a little bit more complicated than that and uh it's hard to tell what part of this movie is satire and what part of it is bad writing um and that goes with the book too uh i do like the movie and the, i mean the book but why do you say there's bad writing to it, though? Um, I think it's just one of those things where I think Jillian Flynn, from what I have seen and read, 
the first stuff is just very um it's almost like too self-aware or not self-aware and i just like it's trying to be hip at times almost like uh diablo cody or something where it's like uh like you know juno and stuff for those like things or you know whatever screenplay she's written but um or united states of uh tara thank oh, you I so love much. United States of tara. yeah so i mean there's certain things like that where it's there's a certain level of like writing i feel like can be a little hokey um and it came across like that way in the book too but uh i didn't get that experience at all watching the movie well you didn't you didn't make a comment i'll get to it in a second because i want to get too ahead of ourselves uh to briefly recap this whole point of this podcast is to talk about movies uh that deal with certain relationship relationship dynamics in a movie i'm the uh, my name is Jim. I'm the movie, I guess, person, and you are Paige, your favorite relationship therapist. Well, okay, <laughs> that's good. And moving on to the movie itself. All right, so I guess it's best to try to tackle this thing in uh, I don't know, chronological order. I guess if anyone's listening to this, uh, there's those will be spoilers. So there's gonna be a lot of spoilers in this, and this movie is full the of twists and turns. So is the story. So if you haven't seen it for some reason. And still we're planning to too bad or just stop listening i don't know either one came out Go 10 back. years ago that's enough time yeah and the book came out longer than that so it's kind of like a yeah but anyways just letting you know the movie the netflix character nick his wife is missing and kind of suspiciously and without warning uh and through a series of like flashbacks kind of start to see the pieces of like the relationship that like beforehand and kind of led up to that he owns a bar with his sister. It's kind of it for like the beginning part of that, like the, at least the setup. So the flashback parts, you kind of see the two of them like meeting. It's kind of like meet cute of like them coming together and like meeting at a party. And you, this is what I'm talking about because you said um, nobody talks like that. Like nobody talks to each other like that. It's just very like like manufactured and very like just it's like written like a sitcom like two people just talking like there's no way people converse that way to have that kind of banter and knowing how to respond to the other person upon their first meeting ever there's there's just possibly no way that they would be able to have all that information in what can i say next to make this person respond that way that's what they were doing the entire time of their first meeting and it's like that thing where it's like they feel so self important that they're like above everyone else and it's, so it's like that like it's almost like a teenage like teenagers talking to each other it's like it's like everyone's so stupid and i just want to punch everyone punch ourselves in the face because we're just so we're just so disgusting and it's like okay like being overly self-aware doesn't make you smarter or cooler than anyone else um so just like it's just it's like comes off in a way that just feels very fake but since it's being told from the point of view of Amy, it it's kind of like the unreliable narrator thing. So I don't know if it's just the sake of just for like writing, or if it's like this person is manufacturing this encounter in a way that makes it seem so too good to be true because that's how it's written. Well, on one hand, too, with it being narrated from the viewpoint of her, and and knowing how the movie has played out to find how delusional she is. That could also all be made up in her head as well, right. of how so, perfect it was. Yeah, and so the whole the, there's definitely a lot of the unreliable narrator happening between both characters. I mean, they're they're both kind of 
liars, liars and deceptive and they don't know how to be truthful to either one of each other so moving ahead you kind of start piecing together and then you realize there's been rocky parts and uh they moved they, the two of them lived in new york together and i think the one of the biggest things to kind of put a pin in and maybe you know from a psychological point is that her parents are child psychologists who wrote a series of children books called amazing amy um that in turn were based on the actual amy like her as a child based on all of her failures or not yet achievements correct or unachievements that she couldn't get right so as she quips in a flashback sequence um as like a party for like i guess it was some kind of i don't really understand what the party was i guess it was like a release thing or some kind of like thing for like a celebration of their career her i don't know no it was a celebration of the wedding of the character in the book amy oh amazing that's amy. right that makes it even more weird yeah, yeah so. amazing amy was getting married and they were having a celebration of amazing amy the girl in the book based on her right and so in that flashback she quips like oh like i got kicked off the soccer team and then in the next book she makes varsity and so on and so forth and stuff like that so it clearly is like you said is a it's like her parents writing the history of their daughter that they want and not the one that she is uh the daughter she is so obviously that can have a psychological impact on a child and a person as you probably would know um i don't know what your thoughts are there about that specifically without well, I mean, it definitely places this pressure of her having to perform. It can have a deep psychological effect on her just not feeling good enough, which in turn can make people do a lot of things to either make themselves feel good enough or put them in a good enough light, even if that's lying, being deceptive um, to a partner even. That's, as we see, that's kind of a... The first, I guess, red, I don't know, red flag or sign of something amiss that in this person's life that could be uh, traumatic. So you see that in flashbacks. So you get that piece of the story. And then as that's going on, there's there's kind of a lot of underground of the movie that kind of deals with the, um, the 2008 uh, recession. Because there's a lot of like recession talk and recession this or like the effects of a recession. In the movie, a lot of stuff takes place. There's a lot of things that happened like into like the flashbacks happened in like 2009, 2010-ish. So it's like in that time period, a lot of that was on the forefront of people's minds. So that is like a kind of a character in the background of the movie and that kind of puts a pin in certain parts of the relationship. So they're in New York and then have to move to Missouri. No, where... no, 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 no. Oh, no. They the... didn't have to. From the perspective of her, she wasn't even asked. So they, they got a call that his mother was sick with the stage four cancer but in amy's eyes it's not that she was against moving um it's that she wasn't asked or you know this wasn't a discussion between her and her husband like in that scene they were talking about oh you know it's just us two that matter in this world um everything else is outside noise and then she reveals that she basically um allowed her parents to pay off their eight hundred seventy thousand dollar like debt 
almost a million, almost her whole trust fund. And she didn't have this conversation with her husband who signed a prenup to her because she comes from money. And so, like, again, more, more lies and or more omissions from her part and them not having these really important conversations. So actually, well, it wasn't, at least from my remember, I don't think it was that they had their debt paid off from her trust fund. It was that the parents were losing money and had to take money out of her trust fund for them. Exactly. Right. So, I don't, so it, that, is that not what I said? I don't remember. I'm sorry. I, I'm also <laughs> late. Sorry. Just remember. I want to paint a picture of the, of the, the setup here. I am laying across the room again, like a corpse in the 1800s, like hands across my chest with a microphone on my chest, staring up at the ceiling and Paige is across the room in the corner. Um, and I don't have headphones in, so I, I could hear from my left ear anyway so not the don't bi- either <laughs> well you you did have them on then you took them off maybe i don't wasn't solidarity but thank you um anyways so if you did if that is what you said i apologize but uh it is i did hear fully from your ear, so i just want to make sure yeah it's because you were hearing from your left ear your bad ear yeah we should get that ear checked yeah that's just that one um <laughs> stop moving your mind i'm just straightening it up <laughs> i hope i don't know i'm sorry um <laughs> we'll get we'll get things figured out eventually right now this is just chaos um speaking of chaos so back to nick and amy uh so yeah so the whole trust fund thing happens again should be noted she's a trust fund baby because of the whole the amazing amy thing so she's famous from that uh that probably has some stick in the relationship a bit and there's some mentions of a prenup throughout as well, it sounds like, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm assuming was a prenup that they made, she made Nick sign because obviously she has all this money from a trust fund. Either she did or the parents did. And, and Yeah, it sounds like there was some outside influence there. And and mind you, keep in mind, it's not that she likely couldn't, you know, make a name for herself on her own. She went to Harvard. I think I also saw another degree about her going to Yale. Like she is yeah. a very prolific writer in her eyes, at least. So with all of those achievements, again, you know, just kind of interesting how things play out. I still really understand. And I don't really recall from the book. Uh, I was trying to like pay attention this time because I feel like I always miss it every time is like what she was doing because she mentions being laid off. So what mm-hmm. I don't know if she was working for her parents. I just I just don't really remember what she was doing. So I know Nick is a teacher, a professor or community college. Yeah. So he's like an adjunct professor. So um, as we'll get into that in a little bit too. Uh, apparently she gets or is going to get laid off. Set so mentioned that she's going to get laid off again. Not sure from what. Nick gets laid off. Uh, and then because of, also because of the mother with the cancer, as you noted, moved to Missouri. And we'll kind of come back to that because they'll come into one of the spoilers. So that's what's puts them to Missouri. And that's where they're that at when the movie, I guess, starts. Is After the mother's dead, they're now in Missouri. He has another job as an he's, as a adjunct professor at a community college and now has this bar with a sister that lives there uh, and she's just around, uh, evidently. Uh, so that's where things are, I guess, when the movie truly starts and things kind of go into motion. Back to 
the disappearance. So she's gone very quickly. Things kind of spiral with the media kind of picks up on it, starting with local media and then turning into national news and like the Nancy Grace kind of equivalent type, uh, you know, news programs. And so very quickly, the movie and the story itself kind of tries to put you in the idea of like kind of empathizing with the media and that okay he's very nick's very disinterested doesn't really seem that concerned about his wife so which seems kind of odd there's some lies going on and then within not too far into you realize it's revealed that he was cheating on amy with one of his students which is kind of a big deal and was keeping it from his sister and that was going on for like 15 months or something and and then like he was going to get divorced from her on the day of their like anniversary so it there's a lot of like weird there's obviously there was like issues in the marriage but it does a job of trying to make you feel like okay i already don't trust this husband guy or the, the husband probably did it and that's kind of what the media in the movie i feel like is gearing towards too and the women in the town and everyone in the town is kind of like or just having that idea in their head so that's kind of where things roll the play i don't know if you had any additional notes or thoughts with that i mean i think that's just something that comes up Anytime there is something happening or like a, a missing person's case or a murder or anything like that, you know, we we jump the gun and run without as truth. And even it's kind of interesting, like we live in the U.S. and, you know, we, we say that innocent until proven guilty, but that's not necessarily, I think, what what the news runs with. Um, because they like to point the fingers because that helps them have the story. So um, that's just kind of tough. Uh, I, I don't think it's like, it's, it's also tough on the, the families, like the victims too. Even though like they might be looking for like a story or someone to blame. Like, I wouldn't say that always brings relief or justice for them, especially even if it's not even the right person that they caught. Yeah, which happens a lot too. So, mm-hmm. and and interestingly, this movie is definitely feels like a movie for the kind of like Me Too era of of like the media attention and stuff. But this came out in the book and the movie both came out before a lot of that kind of came into play. So I feel like uh, you know watching it now or seeing it now like after the fact, uh, definitely you kind of see it through a different prism, I guess. Um, in that regards, I don't know what the intent was before all that, but you know now too it still kind of holds true but not to get too far into all the plot but there is um a scavenger hunt that she does every year in the anniversary that kind of like plays into a lot of the disappearance that she's kind of leading him on um there's these two cop characters there's a female and a male uh interestingly the female seems to be the most questionable of oh like he's not like at first she's kind of like kind of going along with him and like okay i believe you like i'll try to like set aside any biases where like the male here does the sidekick cop character is like very quickly like oh he did it like i don't trust this guy i don't like him i don't whatever and just because simply it's like oh the news said that he's not good and my wife doesn't like him so therefore he's the bad guy yeah so it's kind of they i think they kind of play both those characters are kind of represent the two sides of that media circus um interestingly it's not the two characters you think it would be like kind of like switch roles from what it would normally be play out like or at least the rest of the town playing it out like but yeah so before getting into 
kind of like the twist on the second half of the movie any other things with the initial media circus we want to discuss or like things revelations about the relationship well mind you like going back to the investigation so the male is an officer and the female who was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt throughout the whole investigation she's a detective and i wonder if that also is something that that shows up um in cases today where like officers are a bit more quick to jump the gun and generalize things and not necessarily need to have all the evidence to lock someone up you know the in the movie he was like what do you mean we um we don't need any other evidence and the detective is like in order to make a murder case like in order to arrest him we need a body so it was just kind of interesting how the two were approaching the investigation itself. That's a good point. Yeah, I totally forgot that too. They aren't the same rank or job anyway. So yeah, usually the, I guess the police are more uh, reactive and <laughs> some are, yeah. could be a little bit more uh, investigative. So uh, plays true to their uh, roles. All right, so we talked about the there's the, the cheating going on and during a press conference of the town it's suggested or revealed from a neighbor who was evidently friends with amy that she was pregnant uh in which nick claims to not have known and of course no one believes him because like okay well and especially now that his sister knows that he's been cheating okay what else has he been lying about so maybe she's even feeling doubtful about the situation too so that kind of leads into the kind of mid story twist turn narrative turn which is well amy is still alive um not only still alive but staged carefully and, and very intricately staged the entire thing on purpose uh to frame nick and essentially send him to prison <laughs> and i guess initially the plan was alluded to that she once that was to occur she could see to it that that occurred she would basically end her life or take her own life but things kind of change and play out and then she changes her mind uh, as things go um, so the narrative switches from nick's perspective in the beginning kind of confused and kind of just seen through these flashbacks and journal entries from amy to the second half which you're now seeing mostly from uh amy's perspective which plays out partially like alongside the same time frame of the beginning of the movie, as well as after that point too. So a couple of things here I want to talk about. I don't know if there's anything that on top of your brain you want to bring up immediately or okay. Um, I'll just sit here like a corpse then and stare up into the ceiling. Um, <laughs> I do have some notes. Took some. You took notes during yeah, I this? Took, yeah. I, took I didn't notes. even take notes. And Oof. I don't tell you. Well, that screws me. No, it's not. No, it's okay. We'll just talk off. I mean, it's not crazy. It's just things that I just remember to discuss about them. So, uh, okay. So after the twist occurs, she kind of explains through her process very diligently. And then basically with the, the her whole motive, my understanding is, is that uh, the girl that she, it's kind of like the idea of, of to me, kind of reels, feels like the idea that Nick fell in love with the idea of her, but not her as the person, or kind of like thinking of her as where she recalls herself the cool girl, 
uh, and that she had to fulfill this like role. And the ones she wasn't fulfilling that role anymore, in her words, something to be jettisoned or like tossed to the side. And she claims that, again, whether this was the curated version of the journal or actually her thinking that her husband could kill her, I think it was the fake version. So there's no real telling what she actually thought or what she really feared or, because uh, again, an unreliable narrator. narrator. It's tough because I feel like as a, as a satire, I feel like this movie and story is meant to kind of make you not empathize with either character. I think that would be the hope is that you they're both kind of uh, irredeemable in their own ways. Uh, but I think similarly to other stories and things that exist out there, um, like actually, ironically, David Fincher, who also made Fight Club, uh, is another movie that is like a satire on a certain type of culture, but that culture that picked it up and really liked it and now hang posters of it in their dorm rooms and stuff aren't the people, it's like the people that it's making fun of or satirizing against and not the people that it was meant for. So I feel like there's people out there from what I've seen is like are very like, yeah, like Amy, yeah, go Amy. And like, and like well, no, I don't think that's like the right idea here. It's like, I, the, there's stuff that they haven't talked about here because the reality it is, yeah, she's was clearly in a, I think, obviously in a childhood that was like her parents are messed up and totally put her through the ringer as a child and probably led to all this stuff. But I think there's a real question of did the relationship and that upbringing make her this way or was she always that way or was, was this always the potential? And because in some ways it seems like it suggests that like, oh no, like Nick made her this way and she wasn't always like, a, but I'm like, I feel like to get to this point, you have to kind of be there <laughs> already. I mean, there's, and again, we, we don't know everything that happened in her childhood, everything that happened in her relationships prior, but I I don't think there's any part of, oh, Nick made me this way, because there was clear evidence in the movie where she had uh, framed other people for very violent crimes that they did not do. And so she she has been calculated and manipulative for yeah. longer than being with her husband. And I, I'm actually glad you brought that up because I do find that interesting because I almost didn't like, and I don't remember if that scene was in the book where they're, they're interviewing one of the other past boyfriends or something that, that accused, uh, apparently framed or had him like charged with rape. Uh, the one, you know, he claimed and then there was all the stuff that they didn't actually... So it almost, yeah, like you said, it sets it up like it's kind of hard to be like, oh, like there's any kind of narrative or like set or this idea that like commentary that like, oh, the relationship made her this way. Because it's like, it's kind of making it seem like it's almost like putting the the chips more towards Nick, which I feel like, again, it's kind of anti the point of the, the story. So I kind of don't like that there because it makes it seem like, oh, okay, well, she, it makes you want to just be like, oh, she has a history of doing this. So like, of course, she's like crazy. And it's like, yes, but at the same time, it's like, I think the ideas should be like, I wish it wasn't there because I wish it was like, you don't really know what her past was or what outside of that. So I think adding that there kind of makes it more definitive that it's like, okay, well, she's kind of done this before. So, well, and I also, I, I would have loved for them to expand on the story of her first boyfriend in boarding school, which he comes into play later in the movie. 
But, you know, they talked about that relationship where she broke up with him and then he took it really, really hard and even attempted killing himself because of the end of that relationship that she initiated. And so I really, I wondered more about that story and wish they would have expanded on it because I'm just curious because that begs me to think that she knew at that time oh I have all this Mm -hmm. power over someone I think I think power is a big theme for her in this movie and once she realized that she realized how much she could control and could be calculated I mean, she kept him on the back burner for, what, 20 years and knew that in the flip of a, you know, dial to his phone that he would come be her saving grace. So that's at least 20 years there left to unpack of this type of behavior. And of course, like you said, the, the, it kind of comes to play later. And this is the character that in the movie Neil Patrick Harris plays. Uh, what's his, was it Desi? Desi. Desi. And he, and he shows up earlier in the movie because like he shows up at the one of the like the kind of like media conference thing one of them at the, the yeah volunteer so, searches uh, Nick sees him there and then goes to follow him then he disappears and so he's kind of like in and out and there's like he's aware of that situation but not like fully aware of it um, but to be fair too as we get to that point in the movie so uh, and we'll get there in a second because I don't want to get too ahead of the story but so after she's faking this whole thing and she, you know, dyes her hair, cuts her hair, she like basically bludgeons herself in the head to just to kind of add like disguise and then eats a bunch of food, I guess, to make herself larger. So she's less noticeable because now she's a national like recognition. So she goes out to the Ozarks and like stays at this like rinky dink motel uh, or like kind of lawn stay type thing. And there's a couple other uh, typical archetype but like redneck characters i guess who are there uh that she meets or i guess are a couple um who are shady in their own right and then uh realize she has all this money with her and then while she's there kind of has this i guess come to jesus where she's like well no i don't i don't deserve i deserve to see like i like like he doesn't get to win or i don't get to i shouldn't die i guess as a result of this um, so I guess that's where she decides that she's not going to kill herself in the process. Um, so again, like you said, it's kind of like a power move type thing where I don't think, I think she wants to, it's almost like she enjoys the the media attention a bit, a little bit. And I think it's getting to a point where she's like, well, actually, I think I could do more with this. And maybe there's like more I can do here outside of just like seeing him rot. You know what I mean? Like I could go as far as like, uh, you know, controlling his, the rest of his life or, so after this whole scenario happens, she, the two surly characters that are at this hotel uh, realize she has a bunch of money, uh, eventually steal it from her. She kind of left down in her luck and without much options left. Uh, so she turns to Desi uh, because he, she knows that he's loaded, has a bunch of money, can take care of her and will take care of her in an instant. Um, so she gets in contact with him. He keeps it a secret, of course, because he wants to uh, get with her, I guess would be the <laughs> phrase for that. Um, but he's also a psychopath, I think. He's also a little strange. Uh, well, he was obsessed with her and would send her letters for many, many years. 
and who's no i don't know if he's done other stuff to other people or has potentially put himself in a situation where he's like because like he basically like traps her in the mansion that he's at like he basically says i have cameras everywhere so no one can get in or out and very like ominously and i think once she says that she realizes like oh i'm gonna have to like fight my way out of here but being amy she is very smart she went to harvard she i she uses that opportunity with the cameras to basically stage a sexual assault i think to look like she's their sexual assault to then lead up to ultimately her murdering uh desi and then to escape so kind of putting a pin on that so meanwhile uh nick hires a very prestigious lawyer um played by tyler perry uh who uh, covers him and kind of coaches him through this media stuff and um through an online or through a through a news conference with like one of the big like news people in st louis basically at this point he knows that she's alive he knows he's being played he's kind of like this kind of this game of like chess happening between these two characters and so he kind of speaks directly to her through this news conference and that was kind of like the moment where she sees that it tells you like oh like this like this kind of excites me. This is like the thing I want to, this is like the thing I want to chase. And maybe I do want to go back or maybe I want to go back to this. Um, yeah. Well, what's important, what he said was, is he owned up for his mistakes. He apologized for them and said that he wanted to be a better man for her and that he yeah. loves her. And so that was exactly what she had wanted from the beginning was to have her like, quote, old marriage back where they were invested in each other or were honoring whatever vows they had made like in in her mind that was the reason she did all of this was to get him to move the needle to be that better husband <laughs> yeah i don't and again i don't know i really don't know if it was like a again i don't know if it was like a power play thing where it's like oh i'm actually in love still in love with this or this is what i really wanted to see it's like it's like oh like I'm enjoying this because he's also playing this game with me. And now we're just both these toxic people just stuck in this game with each other. And it's like kind of fun in like this, like really dangerous way. Uh, so that's what I guess leads her to murder to get out of uh, Desi's place. Um, and of course doing this while they're having sex. So uh, his DNA is in her and then it could be staged. So that she could play out this whole story that, uh, oh, the obsessive old boyfriend came, or the old person, and then, uh, and it makes sense because the the you know all the mo is there already to all the pieces fall into place. Um, there is one other thing I do want to point out, and I, I noted it while she's meeting up with Desi to go back to his place. There's she spots a news conference on TV with the girls Andy that um, Nick is cheating on her with on tv and she makes a lot of like disparaging comments about her like 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 oh this like slut or like the like she's dressed like a mennonite and like like and, and all these other like, like and like a babysitter i was saying that thing i was like well wouldn't if you were if you felt like victimized or like brutalized by your husband wouldn't you want to be empathized with another more person that you would see as a victim because like if you felt like you became trapped in the allure of this person and then this you see this other person also fall into the same trap 
you feel like you would have some kind of camaraderie there and as Janet said it seems like she's like jealous almost or it's maybe like it comes off as like it's like vindictive I guess it would be the, yeah. the way I would describe it yeah I mean I, that happens a lot um in affairs uh they don't want to see their husband or their partner who you know whatever kind of relationship it is they don't want to see their partner as the one who betrayed them they they want to point the finger and point the blame but it's so hard for them to admit or acknowledge that it was their partner that caused them all of this pain from the betrayal they go to the easiest target which is her yeah so i found that i did find that interesting it's like okay what is she really concerned about the way her partner made her or is it like now she's like in this like you know i'm like in this like fame this attention this like fantasy i'm playing out like this is the most i've been more famous than amazing amy than i've ever been like like which still is like rooting from her childhood too so ultimately after escaping from desi she literally just shows up in the on in the front lawn of their house and in like theatrical style with all the news trucks there and covered in blood and like oh my god i'm so it's like i'm so happy to be back and of course he uh nick knows it's all a sham and realizes like oh i she's playing me like a fiddle and so of course at that point you know the detective she kind of knows now and kind of gets back on the side of nick and realizes like okay something's up here like i don't trust her well because she had claimed and even like put thread around her wrist to make it seem like she had been tied up she kept claiming i was tied up i was forced yada 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 where you know one of the one of the questions that nick was having while talking to the officer uh so that male officer again that's more on the side of like the the victim which is amy in this case in their eyes um you know nick made the comment wait how could he have how could amy have slit desi's throat if she was tied up right it's a valid question yeah and she kind of like and it's like there's a really fun it's kind of like darkly the movie does have a lot of dark humor in it despite all the horrible stuff that's happening in it that scene where all the cops are and the fbi and stuff are and mostly men too except for again the one female who's like wait hold on this doesn't check out and 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 the Amy's sitting there and just telling her like made this like grand story that she like made up to like oh I was tied up and then she's like well wait that doesn't check and this detail doesn't match up and then and they're like oh she's you know she's tired like she's like oh I just can't you know and so it's like she kind of just weasels her way out of it. Well, what's funny during that scene that caught my eye is that she whenever she would get cut off by the detective. Um, when the FBI kind of like shut up the detective and tried to give the floor back to Amy, Amy was like, so as I was saying in like this particular part of the story, like she she made it a very big theatrical type of ordeal, like that she was star of the show trying to tell her, you know, horrible story of like i'm using quotes like horrible story of all this tragic stuff that's happened like really trying to play out the sympathy from people it's uh so yeah at this point and then you're kind of seeing time move on the news is now shifting from being and it's like funny to see because you see this all the time is the news now shifting from nick's the villain nick's horrible nick's the, and now it's like oh this like beautiful power couple and this is a wonderful story with a happy ending and as he kind of humorously does when the Nancy Grace equivalent shows up at his house 
she's like trying to be all friendly he's like you said i killed my wife on tv you did all this you said all this stuff you almost had me like killed i had the death penalty against me so like no i'm not doing this with you i'm not gonna be friendly with you you have siri going on your watch right now oh god it, it i didn't even see what oh, i didn't want to know what that said i'm gonna have I'm gonna be, it's like nancy grace nancy grace death penalty <laughs> It was kept going too. It just was, yeah. I was like, Are you sure you want? <laughs> okay. Uh, great. I'm going to get all sorts of like, was it HGN? You're or getting whatever. the FBI uh, showing up at your yeah, house tomorrow. Like my mom's like playlist of television shows now. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so, now they're trying to portray themselves as, as this power couple. She gets like, there's a, a part in the movie where like the news shows her in the parking lot of some like grocery store and she's like, you know, marriage is hard, but like, what's important is you know we we try to work through it. You know, so again, just the sob story of trying to get everybody's attention. Yeah, and and this leads to the whole a baby to save the marriage kind of uh, center because earlier on it's revealed that at one point, even before all this, that she was like, oh, we should have a baby. Basically, this, you know, maybe that's what'll save this and. He kind of rightfully was like, well, to save the marriage. She's like, what do you mean save the marriage? Is it broken? And it's like, well, no, that's not it. So that turns into an argument, which I guess he, you know, he shoved her against the wall. And that was like, there was abuse there. That This was predating the whole, you know, the the whole thing that led up to all this. But again, you don't know what is, what isn't real because you're, you're hearing all this from the point of view of Amy through these literally, which she says later are like made up diaries. Or she said the first part is the flowery fun part. And then the rest is kind of like, whatever just to kind of tell this narrative so you don't know what is true true or not so it does kind of the movie does favor weirdly favors nick in a way because it's like you then you but then you're also like you know is all this stuff that like led up to this like justified too so you're kind of like trying to like see both sides of it as well but of course in the end it kind of goes like off the rails a little bit where it gets a little ridiculous where she like basically uses his sperm that was saved at some point and impregnates or gets impregnate or impregnates herself with it uh to have a baby basically traps him into this like thing to say like oh i have this baby now and you're gonna have to take care of it and he's kind of like all right i'm stuck and his sister's kind of like i can't believe you're doing this so it's kind of like a disastrous ending because it's i guess it's supposed to be a commentary on my take would be like you know marriage people like trying to have a baby to save a marriage and these people feeling stuck in a marriage because they have to take care of a baby but obviously to a satirical extreme with the the murder and the what have you and all that but um so yeah that is kind of ultimately where the film ends up uh kind of ends where it starts with with this kind of monologue from nick uh just talking about like wanting to wonder what's in his wife's head and you know what will we do to each other what or what have we done to each other what will we do to each other uh and that is the plot of gone girl in a nutshell um it's a lot it's a lot it's a lot yeah, it's a big nut the crack. Um, so yeah, uh, let's. I guess let's. Okay, let's talk about this. And as we already have, but I guess it's hard to be like, well, who's the bad guy in this movie? Because I guess it's everyone. Everyone's yeah. the bad guy in this movie. Uh, there is no good guy. There's no bad guy. It's the media is awful. The townspeople are awful. The Nick is awful. Amy's awful. Uh, Desi's awful. <laughs> everyone's everyone's pretty awful. In this Margo's movie. not bad. The sister. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she's the the redeemable one. Poor, she kind of gets sucked into the whole thing. Nick is awful because 
it's very clear he jumped into a relationship that he really didn't want it was it just seemed convenient for him at the time he cheated hid it from his partner hid it from everyone in his life evidently apparently abused his partner to some degree uh physically and then also kind of made decisions without really you know breaking the couple bubble and uh not or making decisions or consulting with her in the decisions and also kind of trying to make decisions feeling like she had to consult him for her trust funds money and stuff like that or feeling like you're like she didn't consult him either so i think those are all valid reasons that he is kind of an awful person <laughs> to some degree maybe not i mean maybe awful is a strong word but uh he's a flawed human say that much any thoughts there i mean as we all are flawed humans um he's not the murderer in this movie that's all i'm saying yeah but that doesn't relieve him of his um we'll just say flaws and like he said too he was ready to just be like i'm gonna divorce you um and you know it seems like he had a hard time maybe with the decision i'm just gonna make a big assumption because he really would have lost everything i mean he had no money everything was in her name even the bar that him and his sister owned was in amy's name the house the bills every single thing was linked to Amy and so if he asked for that divorce especially with the prenup that they signed which likely leaves him with nothing I I think that that was probably a big factor of him waiting so long to pull the trigger and and so with with money being such a big thing on his mind um and I can imagine they don't I can imagine they don't pay zillions for an adjunct professor at a community college um, people in academia already don't make a lot so in one sense i think maybe in his head that marrying her and being with her was an achievement kind of like a trophy he had on his shelf and like that was the only thing that like quote he could amount to f- for his life oh my gosh i have this wife she's a writer she went to harvard what a big brag for him right what a big boost to his ego and then to be notched down with being a divorced, penniless man. Ooh, I mean, I think that was a big motivating factor for him to not divorce her and why he waited so long. And I guess, I, I mean, obviously, I don't know what the motivation for him cheating other than just being like, ah, she's young and he wanted some <laughs> young girl to sleep with, I guess. I don't know, because, I mean, when she was a student, it wasn't like she... It was like oh some other like successful girl or something to like hop over to or something it was like yeah i mean what it seemed like from the movie is that their sex life had become almost just um transactional like because oh, yeah. she made a point in one part of the movie saying that like oh he uses my body for sex and like i yeah. just service him essentially and so to me that indicates that there is a like big gap of um emotional bonding between the two of them and i'm guessing he also felt that gap number one didn't talk to her about it number two and then 
found that a way for him to possibly close that gap was the excitement and chemistry that our brains feel when we meet someone new and we have that new relationship energy and it's so exciting and oh you give me butterflies honey when really it's it's that's not emotional bonding that's just our brain on drugs um the the love drug um and it wasn't even love it was again you know him sleeping with a student him being in a place of power also very big no-no um so yeah i i think that could have been a factor in his reason for cheating um so with nick there i guess totally amy uh so she's bad for i feel like for a lot of obvious reasons murder <laughs> one of which is murder maybe uh and the thing that sucks is because it's like is desi weird yes and like i said we don't know what he has or hasn't done what he would have been capable of doing and it sounds like it was kind of ominous what he was it wasn't suggesting that he was going to do anything to her because he was just kind of like i'll just give you whatever you want and and but it did sound like he was like he wanted transactional like I'm expecting like heavily implied he's like expecting sex from it and he was being very like oh don't eat this because we we want you to get back to yourself aka he wanted her to be skinny and get her like all these nice clothes because he wanted it to be the image that he remembered her as because he was shallow and didn't want this like quote-unquote like overweight person that she became to hide from like the because that wasn't the, the woman that he liked or all the way so he was trying to change her image and stuff so he is a bad person too um it necessarily deserving a murder i don't know uh didn't seem like he was doing anything specifically at that time to to, to like it wasn't like a self-defense type thing necessarily i'm sure she probably could have escaped like logistically could have escaped without having to murder him but then her whole story would have been flawed it would have been no so it's like she had to to fit her story and she could have, and she knew she could have gotten away with it because it would have worked. And the media would have eaten it up and been like, oh, okay, he was weird, so I'm sure all that's true. Um, so she's kind of like using the media media like hype on her side there. So again, murder aside, uh, she too kind of jumped into a relationship that I feel like maybe uh, was exciting to her, but didn't really know what the outcome was. I think I think one of the things like we brought up that, you know, she wasn't really consulted with the whole helping take care of Nick's mom, but she seemed very resentful about it. Um, well, she's, uh, I can't remember the line exactly, but it's something alluding to when they finally moved, picked up their life from New York and moved to Missouri to help take care of mom. She alluded to feeling like invisible, like she doesn't fit. Which, which which is valid um but the way it played out is it almost seemed like this isn't about like me anymore and it's like now it's about his mom and like well it's like it should be about me and it's like it always seemed like kind of like it she was like less concerned about the fact that she wasn't consulted and more concerned about the fact that she was no longer like being like me 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 paid attention to and like helping like so it's almost like she didn't really just go along. I mean, like help, but again, there was there was two sides to that that I felt like just didn't <laughs> weren't can really discussed or really planned out appropriately. So, well, if someone's the main character and they get kicked off the stage, yeah, that's gonna make them angry and gonna likely be angry at the people who 
took the stage away from them and do everything in their power to get back on stage. Yeah, it, it's it's so it's tough too to like assess what her role was and like what the effects of things were on her because again, a lot of the narration is coming from her point of view and very blatantly like later on revealed that this all this is from diary entries that could be fake. Like we don't know what of those interactions were real. What of them are like hyperbolized to like fit her narrative that she created? Like, did he actually like shove her to the ground and do all this stuff? Like, was that real? Because I don't think he ever admitted to doing that per se, or did he? Or I don't remember. Well, the detective said something about like something more aggressive than what was written. And so Nick responded with, oh, I never hit her or something like that. And then the detective was like, pushed. Did you push her? And then I think he might have alluded to, he, he didn't admit to it, but but maybe alluded something to that in there. I feel like, because I feel like the story wants it to be like this idea of like, oh, they're both bad for different reasons, but like it definitely feels like it tries to, it, it, the movie at least makes Amy seem more <laughs> psychotic to, to a degree especially by the end, like, you just see that just totally just, like, switches, like, for the most part, you're like, okay, I can, like, see, I could kind of go along with this, and then when it gets to the end, where she kind of comes back, I guess sociopathic would be, I don't know, would be the the phrase, like, she straight up is just like, oh, this is all a show, and this is, this is a show for us, and we're gonna do this, because we're the main characters, and I am now Amazing Amy, and I am the, I am the, the book that my parents always wish they could write, Mom and Dad, you know? look like, at me now. Yes, and, and he still, I guess, well, actually, he does we do see and that is in real time that's not a direct he does abuse her when he, she kind of pisses off and basically says she's getting right he slams her head against the wall again so uh he's still abusive too so it and that didn't seem like that was a first time thing like right. that seems like something that had happened prior what i was going to say about um because i've been doing some reading and something that stan tatkin talks about with memory you know coming from the psychobiological approach of neuroscience. You know, memory, perception, and state all influence each other. And so anytime we access a memory, it gets a bit further from the reality that actually happened. So it gets changed a little bit. What can happen here in this moment, depending on how I feel, depending on like what's going on in my life right now, depending on um, how you and I are interacting, can all affect how I can recall this memory later. And depending on also what state I'm in, when I try to recall that memory, can affect that memory's reality. Memory is so faulty. It's like such an awful thing for people to try to rely on. The reason why I brought that up is I, I know that she like basically wrote the 300 minimum entries for her diary and some of them she may be remembering in a a way that is not actually the memory but because she is so built up with resentment at this point in her marriage she is basically um reflecting and writing these journal entries through shit colored glasses instead of rose colored ones where she had at the beginning of the relationship well, you see, too, she uses, like, different pens and stuff and, like, is putting herself in different frames of mind when she's writing it. Like, she's like, oh, I'll start at the beginning and do the flowers. And she's, like, watching, like, romance movies and stuff while she's writing it. So it's almost like she's, like, taking on that energy when she's, like, writing it. So it's, like, 
I'm putting myself in this like frame of mind to like write this fanciful like we met at a party and we did this stuff because now there's like those like you've got nails like on the TV and stuff versus when she's writing the bad stuff and she's not surrounded by all that. And I'm sure that had influenced how she's writing those and remembering those things too at the time. So like all it was like predetermined, pre-planned. She was doing it with the intent of doing this whole grand scheme of leaving and doing all this so but i feel like she did want to tell her story at least from her point of view to at least some degree it wasn't like she was like i'm gonna just make up some complete merit narrative that doesn't exist you well know? she so, said it needed to be believable yeah and it was but again yeah but was it true and, it, and there's definitely an error that so she obviously thinks she's better than like other women in her life and feels like she's above them to some degree like like i'm already smarter i'm smarter than this or like i could just manipulate this person because i already know the type of person she is and what i can get out of her well you can clearly see that play out when she is quote with the commoners as someone being at the extended stay she's watching you know herself basically yeah. on the nancy grease I, I don't know who the news lady is but yeah. <laughs> that's who's called nancy grease <laughs> sorry <laughs> nancy, nancy. <laughs> um <laughs> And so the woman that she's hanging out with, who, from Amy's perspective, is below her, uh, makes a comment saying, like, oh, she's too uppity. And while she's away in a different room, Amy spits in her drink because she thinks she's better than her. Or Oh, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. I remember, yeah, you were like, she's like oh, I don't remember that from last time, really. Yeah, that was like very deliberate. Yeah. Well, I think it just goes to show and demonstrate your point that you just made that she thinks she's better than other people, but it also shows that she can't take criticism um, well at all. And if someone tells her something or gives her feedback about something in denial, and now that you've said this bad thing about me, you're crossed off my nice list and I'm going to cause you harm. And I'm glad you brought the extended stay because that was going to be the next thing is all these people. She's like, I I already have this planned out. I know how to play all these people like a fiddle, except those two that totally screw her over. And she wasn't expecting it at all. They come in, they take her money. She's she's she screams into a pillow because she's so angry. She's like, how could it's like, how could I let these people like get the one over me? And like, you know, it's like she couldn't believe. And that's what leads her to go to Desi because she's like, I don't know. Well, now I got to redo my whole plan because all this is like ruined now because I planned all this out except these two people that just like walked into my life and just like totally just went right past all of her plans. She can fool the media. She can fool a whole town. She can fool her parents. She can fool her husband. She can't fool these two rednecks at an extended say hotel. So I guess it's kind of like a commentary that the, the smartest people in the room are the ones who didn't get a degree, you know, because in the end, Nick didn't win. No one else. Won. I mean, she kind of wins in the end, but that was after all a detour of these two people. I mean, they got away with her money and they're probably off living scot-free somewhere where all these like what thousands of dollars and stuff. I don't so. know if they're living scot-free. They probably yeah, well, bought until, a lot of until drugs next and extended, Yeah, well, the next extended stay. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> a better extended stay. I don't I like the I like, well, again, I always want to see what the follow-up series is and what the HBO series of them on the road with spending on the money. I guess the question now comes to, can this relationship be no, saved? No. She <laughs> murdered somebody. This I gotta I gotta ask the question. We gotta talk about is that the question for every episode? Can this yeah, is a couple's therapist is can this relationship be saved? Can this dynamic be saved? Can there be a healthy relationship forged out of this? I don't think you can come out and of murder. No, <laughs> not intentional murder. Not 
I want to cause you harm murder or to make me look better murder. No. There's hmm. there's no way. I mean, they're they both resent each other and are going to continue resenting each other for the next eighteen years of that baby's life and likely they're on after uh even after that was there you know i didn't notice this time i was gonna ask any logic flaws or anything that you because i feel like you like i said <laughs> we said last time there's always the one thing where you're like you want to hang up what, what you is know it? what that's funny because usually there's a hang up every single movie right, right? but yes. i didn't call out any from this movie yes, that is completely insane except there was almost one and they got you. you. You got ahead of it at the end when she—they're in the shower together, and she puts the shampoo in her hand, and you go, you go. Well, she, her hair's that wet. And then before she, right after you said that, she starts wetting her hair. And I'm like, ha. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that already. Do you do you have anything else do you want to add to the psychological piece or the? I don't think I can think of anything. Really, I mean, there's a yeah. There's not so much to say about the future of this relationship. Yeah. Um, and we're not really condoning. I wouldn't condone either of their, obviously not condone murder, but uh. Just in general, as two people outside of the murder and stuff, I would say they're both pretty despicable. There's there's just no safety created in that relationship. Like, lies, making moves without telling the other person, basically doing things out of spite of their partner, trying to make the other person's lives miserable, then framing for murder, and then murdering. It just, like, yeah, we just want to stamp this one with unsavable. Is it gonna be a thing? Yeah, we'll get a stamp. <laughs> one day we'll get one that's gonna have a savable relationship. Well, I guess that's the whole reason why we're doing the episodes to begin with. Oh, I was gonna say, okay, so glad you mentioned that there was no logic flaws for you in this movie because, from a film nerd perspective, uh, the director David Fincher, who's one of my favorite directors and very well known, has done uh, movies like Fight Club, like I mentioned, uh, Seven, The American Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Social Network. He's very much, he's known uh, as being very obsessive compulsive and doing upwards of like hundreds of takes for just simple shots. Wow. Like someone just throwing something. So like the scene where like he's tossing the, like the gummy bears at him. It's like, nope, I want that one to land like directly on, the, if it doesn't land there, I want it to shoot it again until it lands there. CGI it, dang. Yeah, so he's he's known for being very exhaustive with his shots and like placement everything's very deliberate and anything that's in the shot is there on purpose and he will get it until it's exactly right all right david's the one well um i won't i don't really have too much else uh, i don't really know what our next one is i think we'll probably do something creepy still because we'll still be in uh there's not really a consistency in which we would release these i don't think so uh you'll get it when you get it yeah, you'll get it when we feel like it so uh thanks for going on that journey with us uh, anything else you want to add no okay well thanks for listening to cinema shrinks and i'm jim and i'm Paige. great i'll catch y'all later <laughs> <laughs> see you on the flippity flop